When we hold on to grievance and pain from the past, we keep ourselves from being able to really move into our fullest expression of self. We need to practice forgiveness from the soul recovery perspective, dissipating the energy and releasing the past for good. If you're interested in this profound transformation, I invite you to join me in Colorado the weekend of June 8th and 9th to have an incredible experience with others on this same soul recovery journey. Two full days of immersion in the soul recovery process where you will indeed leave transformed. You will be able to truly let go of these old pains and step into a new way of being. Check out the show notes for a coupon code and how to register. In this episode, I'm interviewing Robert Althaus. He just channeled a spiritual book called Love and Truth, The Ethos of Being Spiritual Art. And what I loved about talking to him is that he had what we would look at from the outside as the pinnacle of success. He had the marriage, he had wealth, he had top of the line success in his business world. He seemed to have it all. And yet what he talks about in this podcast is that he didn't have enough And there was a constant drive to please and to have more. And underneath was an emptiness. And through his spiritual growth, through his awareness, and through losing everything, he found that his connection to source, his coming back to a spiritually grounded, resourced self, was his greatest happiness, that that was the fulfillment. And through that, he opened up to a more spiritual part of himself, which ended up channeling this work, this book, Love and Truth. It's a wonderful conversation around how we can start to awaken, how we can start to see our lives from different perspectives. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Recover Your Soul podcast, a spiritual path to a happy and healthy life. My name is Reverend Rachel Harrison. I started Recover Your Soul after having profound changes in my life from my recovery of alcoholism, codependency, and control addiction. I was guided to share the tools and principles of spirituality and soul recovery to help others transform their lives as mine was transformed. For us to overcome external circumstances, we need to turn the attention to ourselves, focusing on our inner change and healing. Positive results in our lives will follow. Welcome back to the Recovery Soul Podcast. I am Reverend Rachel Harrison, and I am so excited because on this episode today, I have the privilege of speaking with Robert Althaus, who is the writer, the channeler of a new incredible book called Love and Truth. As we know in soul recovery, nothing is by mistake. And I know that he's been brought to the soul recovery community on purpose. And I'm excited to hear his wisdom, his teachings, and what he can show us in soul recovery. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. Obviously, this book is, um, you know, came through me. And so, you know, I sit here very humble as the ambassador, the typist, um, and some of this, uh, all of this is embodied knowledge, but it very much came uh, from a higher source. So I'm uh, I'm humbled to be here, and I, I really appreciate it. I love the conversation we're going to get into. I already know it's going to be good. 
One of the most profound shifts that happened with me in the last five and a half years, I've done so much spiritual work, but it was through books that are channeled books, The Course in Miracles, Way of Mastery. And so I'm really excited because I do think that when we open ourselves up to the greater consciousness, that there are people who can hear it to to share the wisdom. So congratulations on having that Thank channel you. Thank opened. You. Yeah, yeah. And, and everybody's interested. There's people who ask me, well, how do you do this? And, and you know, the entire universe, the entire unseen universe is formless consciousness. And within that, there's clusters and these clusters have intelligence. And it's literally when you channel and everybody does it a little differently, it's as if you're tuning into a radio channel. And mm-hmm. so I receive energy that in some miraculous way, my brain, when I get out of the way, my brain translates that in the and the object here is to get out of the way. The moment I start thinking, you know, the channel closes up. And so uh, now other people um, go in a trance in the channel. Uh, that's not how it occurs for me. I'm very much present. I'm in what's called gamma brainwaves, which is highly coherent. Uh, but all time and space stops. I have no idea, no sense of time. It's almost like an artist making a masterpiece. You know, you hear musicians and artists painting, and they just totally lose all sense of time. Well, that's me when I channel, when I write my book. And for me, it comes through writing. Uh, That's one of my passions. So clearly, this wasn't how this all started, right? This is not, you've been not channeling since you were a kid, or maybe you have. But tell us a little bit about how this has happened. I know for so so many, the awakening comes... Yeah. A little bit later in life. So I have to kind of dial pretty far back because um, I, you know, in my teens, my mother was very spiritual and she was an astrologist uh, and, uh, and a graphologist. And very much, you know, she took me to like doctors that read your aura and things like that. I mean, stuff in the 80s that people were like, you know, it was, it was unanimous, right? Uh, now, my father was a hardcore businessman. He was a top CEO at a, comp- at a company in uh, Holland where I grew up. And so I had these kind of, I, I was almost bipolar between my parents. And I really couldn't do much with the spirituality that my mom kind of fed me because if I would take that to my friends or my surroundings, you know, people would look at me like that's madness. So, you know, I suppressed that and I kind of went on the path of my father. And so uh, after some world travel, I was a tennis pro for a while. So got to Australia. I, I ended up in the States. I went to night school and I got into real estate and I was a ferocious competitor. And I worked my way up. I made a lot of money. I ended up in uh, Columbia Business School. Then I went to GE. I was top 10, 1% at GE. So, you know, I was living the American dream. Mm-hmm. I was like this guy that everybody applauds. You know, I have a lot of masculine energy. I'm a big alpha uh, energy presence. And and um, But the alpha that goes out of balance, um, you know, creates a lot of carnage in his life. He will might look successful on the outside, but he likely has a debris of uh, a trail of debris behind him. And I was like that. And then I, uh, in 2008, the financial crisis hit GE. Uh, I, I wound down my unit and I bought an asset. And then I was a business owner myself. I made even more money. And in 2015, I sold most of my business. I was in my early 40s. And I had this moment where 250 days of travel and I was a shark swimming with sharks, and then suddenly that fell away. And I had all this money, and I reached the mountain peak. You know, I had all the money, all the houses, toys. I had the perfect family. I had it all. I had everything I thought that was going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. 
I had all the outside traffic. And I, I was so disillusioned because I felt completely naked. And that was a spontaneous spiritual awakening that I, at the time, didn't realize what it was because I just thought I was depressed. But I was completely disillusioned, empty, this void inside. I mean, I couldn't respect the man in the mirror and so many things that I had done and what I had become. Um, and uh, my Claire Cognizance and Claire Sentience came online almost spontaneously. Now, Claire Cognizance is that you just know. Now, I've always had access to this, but it came on big time. And Claire Sentience is that you suddenly feel energies. I didn't know what to do with it. Now, this is in my maternal side of my family. My grandfather was clairvoyant. My mother has these uh, cognitive abilities. And so, you know, it's not completely surprising to me, but I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I had to figure out. And then my whole life started unraveling. And eventually I went through divorce. I had a hurricane wipe out of business. I had all this bad luck. Bad luck, I say, between parentheses, because all these things were the gifts wrapped in sandpaper, and I fell from grace. I lost all these trappings. And I had to, the universe brought me to my knees, you know, and basically this grand experience culminated in my first book, Never Enough Itis, where I kind of, you know, take people, it's a memoir self-help, where I take people through the storyline and what happened to me and then how I found my way out. And then this book is really my first, you know, 100% true channel for it. And, um, and so I'm very excited to bring this out. This is a spiritual teaching framework anchored in the uh, sacred geometry. And it came to me in a download, literally on the beach. In an hour, 15 minutes, I wrote the entire outline, the flower life that is, that is used as the backdrop. And this entire book just came through. And the next day I started writing. And for the next two and a half months, I wrote three, four, five hours a day. Wow. So sort of backing up a little bit from the never enough itis, which I think is such a fabulous place when we're in that place of everything falling apart. And it just feels like this is the worst thing that could ever happen. You know, I was recently talking to a client about the sandpaper. When you first hear the word sandpaper, you think irritation and, Mm -hmm. and harsh. And then when you really think about it, the sandpaper is what's sanding down the rough edges and bringing out your beauty. What happened when you started to have that knowing and made the shift over from thinking this was the worst thing? I mean, you were on the top of the mountain. What, what internally happened to bring out the awareness that that the surrender is? Well, a couple, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, Confucius said, you know, the, the gem cannot be polished without friction. And so, you know, during this spiritual awakening, and, and I didn't, you know, uh, I wasn't enlightened overnight. I did, you know, I started to really delve into spirituality and reading, and, and I just had, I, I just had this sense that there's got to be something else because this can't be the purpose of life to be miserable, even though you have all these trappings. First, you accumulate knowledge, and then you start interpreting it, and we start internalizing it, and you know, slowly but surely, I kind of this blueprint of reality started revealing itself to me that you know there's a design to life that has the intelligence of life which is divinity god creator but i'm not hung up on labels because i don't care what you call it you can call it infinite intelligence i think everybody's one of their their different milestones but the most pivotal milestone i think to start really in earnest is to the realization and it comes in one moment 
that nothing is being done to me. Everything is happening for me. Now, within that very simple paradigm shift, you now can see, okay, if the designer lies in flawless, but ugly stuff is in my life, then the way to change that, if there's a mirror of me, then it's within me. Now, the second big step you have to take is 100% responsibility and 100% accountability. Because the moment you abdicate your power and say, well, it was done to me, you are powerless. You are no longer the creator of your own life, your own story. Now, you might not know in the moment you make that shift, like how to do all the things you need to do to shift it around. But the moment you make that decision to design a life as flawless, and I can trust that, what do you call it? God, creator, spirit. I mean, I don't care what you call it. But the design of life is perfect. And if I take responsibility that everything that's in my life today is here to serve me, it's here to show me something, it's here to teach me something. And there's grace in that. So when I started losing millions of dollars and I went through divorce and I had the business wipe me out, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn who I truly was. Because if my gravy train would have continued, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. You wouldn't be interviewing me. I wouldn't have channeled this book. But in that moment, I couldn't see what was going to be four or five years from now. So we doubted. And most of our challenges in life is because we negotiate over our ego. Because we all have a whisper inside. We all have this wisdom of the soul that's guiding us. I call it the intelligence of the heart. It's a feminine intelligence within us. And it has a fluency in language, both sensing, feeling, intuiting, and direct knowing. Now, most men are, are in Western society are completely disconnected from that intelligence. Because they're just in their head. I was. Right. And so that opened up to me and I started learning that language. And the moment you can see how you're negotiating with your ego is the moment you can make a shift. Mm -hmm. I love that because that's exactly what happened for me as well, is that just that little shift to thinking that the world was doing this to me, that I was a victim, that I wanted it to be different, obsessed with wanting it to be different right. and just shifted it and just said, what if that's not true? What if, right. what if I'm to learn, how can I grow from this? How can I see right. this differently? How can I choose to see it differently? How can I trust and how can I let go? And, and if I may add, because I, it was, a, it was a huge conflict inside of me because the world was applauding me. You know, this was early 2015. I had made all this money and I was this powerful business guy and I had the beautiful wife and the kids and the house and the oceanfront community. And, you know, the world was just applauding. I was a bankrupt soul, you know, inside. And I was lost in many addictions. I was addicted to power. I was addicted to women. I was addicted to drugs. I had, and then I had anxiety and ulcers and and, you know, I, I, I have a big business in Colombia where, you know, there's all kinds of other things. And here's the thing with any sort of addiction. We numb ourselves. Mm -hmm. Why do we numb ourselves? Well, there's a variety of reasons, but most of it, we're not on our path. And it's unbearable. And so we numb ourselves, and that can be shopping, gambling, porn, um, cheating on our wives, you know, uh, 
I was lost in my ambition and just seeking ever bigger projects and more money and power and accolades, binge watching TV, eating. It doesn't matter how it show up. It's all the same thing. We're numb ourselves because the pain, the suffering is unbearable. And we have to somehow find a stimulus in the outside that can just numb that pain inside of us. But the moment we can, just for a moment, look at the pain and see it, that there is a gift in it. Now we can start seeing the lesson in it. Why do I need this? Why am I doing this? Where is this pain? And I look at the pain. Your ego is always going to negotiate. Your, your ego, because your ego doesn't like the unknown. It doesn't like what it can't project, what your soul knows. Your soul knows your whole movie. And it knows all your timelines. And any, in any given moment, you have infinite amount of timelines. And these are just choices we make that then translate themselves in the movie scenes that show up in our lives. And the moment we own that, and I'm the director of the movie, I'm the director and the, and the actor in my own movie. Now you're, claim, you're reclaiming your power. And within that power is the power to overcome any way, any addiction, any, you know, whether it's alcohol, cigarettes, gambling, whatever it might be. The wrong jobs we're in, the wrong relationships we're in, Maybe we're living in the long, long place. And all those things can now be faced. And you still have to work through it. You know, this is no take walk. All right? There's hard choices we need to make. But our willpower will come from trusting this inner wisdom that then has a, a way to bubble up to the service. So every time we negotiate with our ego, we can revert back to that little whispers inside. And it will guide us. Flawless. If you're ready for soul recovery, as a spiritual coach, I can support your healing to help make real changes that will bring you a life of peace, happiness, connection, and abundance. You can also work in smaller groups by taking a deep dive in a Zoom workshop or with me in person at a retreat or an event. Join others on the soul recovery path once a month for the free Zoom support group or daily on the private Facebook page. Visit the website recoveryoursoul.net to book coaching sessions with me or find all the information you need about soul recovery, dates that are coming up, and how to register for those groups and workshops. To support the podcast and the community, check the links in the show notes to make a small monthly donation or a one-time donation of your choice that will make a huge impact to support this community and the soul recovery mission. Together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. The pain is so interesting because we that numbing that we have. There's when I started having the awareness that the feelings were telling me something. So instead of trying to hide from the pain, but to look at what what is it trying to teach me? What it, what direction right. is it trying to lead me? And that shift that comes away from I don't want to be numb. I don't want to be asleep. I want to be awake. And to look under, I often say in working with clients, it's. It's as if when you open up those doors that are shut so tight and and you start to actually look at it, it seemed a lot scarier than it actually is. And the more we lean into our spiritual journey, the more strength we have to hold space around what that feeling is 
and move into that place where not only, you know, we're the director and the actor, but spirit is the one who's actually writing the script. Yeah, it's living through it. Yeah. Right. So in the book, what was the most profound thing for you to like realize was channeling through you? Tell me what that awakening might have been to learn. What really came through for the book um, is this notion that we are all an expression of the divine. And every every dream within us, you know, that most beautiful life that we dream of is accessible to each of us. And how do I know that? Because if you literally trust these voices inside, you know, I, I, I know for a fact that there's a benevolent universe. Einstein said the most important choice you make in your life is a malevolent or benevolent universe. And what he means by that is if you have a dream, a little seed that was placed in your heart, then that is there's something far larger than you that wants to live that through you. Now, that might be being an epic mom or building an empire or creating paintings like Picasso or, or being a scientist that comes up with the next uh, solution to solve all world problems. It doesn't matter what it is. The moment you realize that there's something far larger that's trying to live through me, that is actually wanting to express it, and I've so I embrace that it's a benevolent universe, then I must have all the talents, superpowers, resources, and gifts to, to realize this. I must have those. Because otherwise it would just be cruel. And this universe is not cruel. But that's a decision you have to make. Right? Is it a benevolent universe? If it is, okay, it takes you to the next step. Well, what is this dream that wants to come alive in me? What do I really want to create for myself? Now, that is your truth. And that is that wants to be lived through you. You're a unique puzzle piece in mosaic of humanity. We are all supposed to be our own little unique puzzle piece. And you are here because you're supposed to be here. There's something you're adding to this mosaic of humanity that only you can do. But you do have to step into it. Now, what are some of the things that hold us back? Well, you know, human beings generally need three things. They need to be seen, they need to be heard, and they need to be loved. And so many times in our childhood or throughout life, you know, we get faulty programming. We don't feel seen. We don't feel, feel heard. We don't feel loved. And then the most cruel thing is we don't see ourselves. We don't listen to ourselves. We don't love ourselves. Now, there's no love, true love, you can give to anybody unless you love yourself. And you respect yourself. Now, within respecting and loving yourself, you know, is, is alcoholism and drugs and, 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 you know, all these bad habits or addictions you might have, is that loving yourself? No. So now you come to these very logical decision points in your life, like, hey, this is in conflict with what I actually believe. Because I know it's a benevolent universe, and I know I'm supposed to be here, and I know I have this dream in my heart. But I'm so disenchanted with the world because it seems like my dream is not allowed to be born. But your dream is allowed to be born. And these, the numbing and the addictions and the failures and the stumbling and being in the wrong place and the wrong relationship, it's just showing you that this isn't the way. And then, you know, I love quoting people. Joseph Campbell said, life is not a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. 
follow your bliss. So find out, get really clear, what's your bliss? What does your most beautiful life look like? And then be radical in not negotiating with your ego. Because your ego is your scared little kid inside of you that is just trembling at the idea of anything it doesn't know. Your ego is that little kid that's afraid of the ghost under the bed. And this is where your soul comes in, these whispers come in, the intelligence of the heart that's directly connect, connected to the entire universe, like a, like a Google search engine. And the moment you give it the right search instruction, providence sets in. And all sorts of help, resources, opportunities, serendipities just miraculously find their way into your movie of your life. And you're like, I cannot describe where this is coming from. It's coming from you starting to align with that which is truly you. Yes. Yes. I, I that you you just described soul recovery. I mean, you just described the teachings that are so fundamental in what's happened for me and what I think and feel. It can be hard to leave the ego self, that part of us that step one in soul recovery is that we're powerless over every single thing. And this concept that we're powerless, and I love how you talked about how we give our power away earlier, because when we connect with this truth of who we are, the world still is what it is, but we feel it and connect with it differently. Yeah. We we then, feel it different. Yeah. For those that have you know, more scientifically oriented, and they're like, well, you know, how do I know this works? Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you how your brain works. So our conscious mind is about 5% of our brain capacity, and our subconscious mind is about 95%. And that is all your experiences you've ever experienced are documented there. And that's your understanding of life in this lifetime by your subconscious mind. And that's the reference point. Now, our five-century organs, only capture about 10% of all of reality. 95% of the data goes straight into your subconscious. Your subconscious knows everything. We see a very limited portion of reality. The mechanism that does that is called the reticular activating system. You can Google it if you want. Now, the reticular activating system filters out that which is relevant. Our, our subconscious tells our conscious mind, this is relevant for my life. Now, I'll give you an example of how this works. So let's one day you decide that your dream is to have a red mini cooper. And you go to a dealership and you sit down there and you spec it out exactly the way you want it. And you place the order and you just tickle the deck. And the next month while you're waiting for that car to show up, you see mini coopers everywhere. You're like, oh, my God, they're everywhere. They were always everywhere. They became relevant to your 10% particular activating system. Mm-hmm. Now, let's translate this into, I think I am lucky and there's opportunities everywhere. Now, if that's your prevailing belief in your subconscious, you are going to walk through the life filtering out this entire reality, and all you're going to see is opportunity. You're going to see so many opportunities, you don't even know what to do with it. Now, at the very same time, if you have the core belief that I am not worthy, I always have bad luck. I always lose. I never, you know, there's no good man out there. There's no, nobody loves me. Your 10% is basically instructed to go find that in the world. Right. 
And that's all you'll see. And for you, you look at the world and you're like, uh, you know, the world is against me. No. You know, we have to do some work. And this is the inner work. Now, one thing that's really important and, you know, it's a big part of my work that I do when I start working with clients, sometimes we need a little, little jump start. And I say this because I do this when I work and I know you do this, but anybody can do this to anybody you love. Sometimes we just need to have someone tell them, I believe in you. Just that. I believe in you. And I see the higher version of you. Yes. Now I see the shit you created too. And I see the mess. I don't care. Because, you know, Heraclitus said nothing ever is. Everything is always becoming. There's nothing static in life. Everything is always moving. Just because where you happen to be today means absolutely nothing about who you are or where you could go. The only limitation is your limitation in your mind, what you can create. And sometimes to burst through that first kind of objection, we just need to tell someone, I believe in you. I believe in you. And just repeat it like a mantra. I believe in you. I know you're not there right now. I see it. I, I can see your life is a mess. I know you made, you made a little mess out of things. I've been there too. Mm-hmm. I made a colossal mess out of my life. I blew the whole whole goddamn thing up. But I know that's not where I am today. And if I can do it, you can do it. Because I'm nothing special. I am absolutely nothing special. There's nothing hardwired into me that you don't have. Including the channeling I do. You can do that too. I am nothing special. I'm just on a different part of my movie. And, I love sometimes, and sometimes we just need someone to say, you know what, I believe in you. And yeah, you're going to make some more mistakes. And you're going to fall on your knees a couple more times. It's fine. I'll give you my hand. I'll help you out. Mm-hmm. Keep, we keep moving. I think that seeing people as their wholeness instead of seeing them as the brokenness is such a powerful opening to becoming who we truly are and in relationships and not only for ourselves to, to stop seeing ourselves as broken, to stop attracting to ourselves. You will, you will find evidence for whatever it is that you believe about yourself. So So when we start to see ourselves as whole, and I love that you brought up the not being special, we are all special and no more special than each other. So to, to embrace our wholeness and our fullness, but to see others, even those in our lives who are struggling, who are addicted, who are hurting us. When, when we make that shift and we stop seeing them as the enemy or stop seeing them as wrong or stop seeing them as broken. For me, it's been this incredible shift that is not only healing for them, but even more so healing in my ability to let go of the blame and the guilt and the, the victimhood and all of it. It's, um, it's a profound shift. And if I may add, and not to take this on a religious spin, but just think about this. God actually never forgives because he never judges. Right. She never judges. Right. 
I think so too. Forgiveness comes from a place where we made a judgment. And you don't see the totality of anything. Now, if you think about us being, you know, there's a little soul and you know, incarnating over thousands of lives, you're just seeing a minute part of the movie. And from that, you think you can judge the whole movie. The whole movie is an infinite movie. Again, the design of life is flawless. So even what we think is bad and a failure and, you know, that homeless person or that addiction or this or that, no, it has a place in their storyline. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they learn that lesson this lifetime or next lifetime, you know, that just depends on what their choices are. But they will get there, right? Right. And there's no such thing as a mistake. Because even when we have a mistake, there's a lesson, there's something we learn. You know, there's failures in life. But it never means we're a failure. It just means something didn't work out. It's not a punishment. And and the last thing I want to say that everybody everywhere, by definition, in the moment, always does the best they have available to them in that moment. Now, in that moment, that might be very unconscious, that might be hurtful, harmful, all those things. And you can have boundaries and, and all those things. Well, we can always know by definition that in the moment, whatever a person is doing, it's it's just the best they have accessible in that particular moment. That doesn't mean that's their full potential. They might very well be playing well below their full potential. But in that moment, that's the best they got. There's nobody purposely does something anything less than the best they have. Just a design of life. So we know everything. So we know everything is always in perfect order. I think that's so great because when we can accept that and open to that in ourselves and in others, we can that judgment can be decreased. That feeling that we wish it was a different way or that they were a different way. And plus, you know, in any moment, that moment's over already. So to stop holding on to it, to stop begrudging it, to stop being angry with it. Now, the, the, the thing I would add to this is that when we go on our recovery of our soul, right, when we, we go journey on this path, there's many people that, uh, for their own reasons, might not be able to support you in that, but might not be able to be a positive, constructive element in your life. And so we do need to start having great discernment, like who in this stage of my life is supporting, helping, aiding, loving, and contributing to my life in where I want to go. Now, that sometimes means we have to create some distance. And that could be with family members. That could be a divorce. That could be a friendship that has to be put you know, a little further away outside our inner circle. And we can do that with love. Because some people are going to want you to stay the same. They don't want you to change. You know, the greatest obstacle for a lot of uh, cancer patients to heal is actually that there's something in being the attention they're getting for, for being sick. It makes it very difficult to heal. There's a lot of time people that have cancer on a spiritual level, not a biological level, right? And we know on a biological level, we're energy systems. And so there's, you know, between seven and nine millivolts per cell. And when that drops to 20 millivolts per cell, life force energy, 
we are subject, you know, we are very likely prone to have cancerous growth. At healthy life force level, seven to nine millivolts, that's impossible. We cannot be sick. Just impossible. Now, why does our life force energy grow? We're not honoring ourselves. You know, we're some in some way sacrificing our truth. And then for some people, they fall into this pattern where the attention they're getting for being sick, weak, you know, it's hard to let go of that because it kind of feels like the only love I get is if I'm weak, when I'm sick, when I'm a basket case, when I'm addicted, when I'm screwing up my life. And so sometimes we need to, again, not negotiate with our soul and say, well, I'm not going to hold on to that because I, I want to actually elevate myself beyond this. And I know this is hard to hear for some people, but we have to have 100% accountability and responsibility because otherwise we are taking our own power away to create someone else, to create another movie scene. And when we go on that journey, on that path, um, we, we there might be some people that, that don't want us to shine. They don't want us really to succeed because then they have to look at their wounds and their underperformance and all the things that you know, it was really comfortable when you were were just a, a very average or, you know, not doing so great. And, you know, it made them feel good because they were doing better than you. And so that made them actually, they got some false, um, you know, pride out of that. And now you're rising and you're growing and you're evolving and you have a voice and you express it and you're stepping into your power. And now these very same people might not like that so much. Yeah, so it changes. Our lives change. Of My. Course. My friend group, who I spend time with, what my choices of what I do, where I put my energy has changed completely since I've had the change in my soul structure. And I've left some pretty big relationships behind. Yeah. And and there's no judgment here, right? Because when we are in a miserable place, it's really, really hard to be truly, genuinely happy for someone. Very different. When we are hurt, we hurt other people. Now, when you come across someone that's happy, that's on his timeline, that is thriving in life, they love to cheer other people on. They love to see your luminescence come alive. They love to see you start blossoming and growing, and they'll be the first one to congratulate you and and you know cheer you on because they're in the same place. But it's really difficult. When we're in a, don't feel good about ourselves and we don't have great health or we have these problems in our life and then someone else just seems to like just suddenly elevate themselves out of that. And really what's behind it is I want that too, Mm -hmm. but I don't have it and I don't feel I can do it like they can. And, you know, and so they're, they're in pain and suffering actually seeing that. Now that's not because they don't love you at a deeper level. It's just they haven't quite stepped into their own power. What I often say as well is that even though it may feel like that to them, what we're actually offering when they're ready to see it is that it is available to them. That when we do our healing, we are actually offering healing to ourselves, to our immediate family, to the world. And the more attention that we put to ourselves and our own healing and allowing them to be in their movie with their own consequences, right. with us loving them and holding space, but not being in old right. behaviors of codependence or enabling, 
what we're actually offering is you too can come from this light. Oh, 100%. And, and this is, you know, a false notion in spirituality, friends, is, you know, you have to be poor. And that's not true at all. Because you being poor or having poverty doesn't make anybody in poverty any richer or any more abundant. You being sick or weak or ill doesn't make any other ill person any healthier. Now, what does is you living a healthy lifestyle, taking care of yourself, you know, eating healthy food, sharing, you know, what's working for you. See, and people seeing you thriving, like, hey, can I copy what they're doing? What's that? You know, that's a playbook that seems to work for you well. Mm -hmm. So you're showing the way. You creating abundance for yourself, a beautiful life. And of course, you know, don't, don't, not through any undue harm, but, you know, if you're spiritually connected, you wouldn't want to anyway. You know, so but but you're creating abundance and showing what's possible, right? I was where you were, and now I'm over here, and these this this is what I did. This is how I did it, right? It wasn't the money and the power that had made you so bankrupt within yourself. No. It was something else. And so ultimately, I love this because I think that ultimately your story, you know, of having so much outward success. It doesn't mean that success itself is is evil. What it means is what we is what we have is the backstory. What we have underneath is the foundation yeah, that that yeah. is going to make us happy, and then it all crumbles. And you rebuild your house on a strong yeah. foundation. Yeah, and so my my particular story was a very deep father. Again. My father was very stoic. My father was born in Holland in 1940, uh, two months before the Nazis invaded Holland. He lost his father in a war camp in Germany. And he grew up, his formative childhood years was Holland rebuilding after the war. And so my father, life was tough. Life was hard. There's nobody to help you. You got to work hard. You got to grind it out. You got to save for a rainy day. Life is dangerous. These first 15, 20 years of his life had shaped me. And of course, you know, as a good father, that's he wanted to teach us that. You know, I have two older brothers. And so, you know, he, he taught us these things. But he was very um, challenged in expressing his feelings. You know, when he passed in 2017, I was talking to my mom and she said, you know, they were married for 51 years. And he told her he loved her twice. Wow. In 52 years. And so I had this father one because I so wanted to be seen by him. I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted to show him that I you know, that little boy in me, you know, you want your father to be proud of you. He's giving you a little pat on your shoulder. And, you know, my father couldn't do that. And even, you know, I graduated from Columbia Business School, which I paid for myself. I graduated 10% of, of my top 10% of my class. I was the president twice of my class. And my father said, you know, I think the other guy had a, had a higher GPA. I graduated summa cum laude from my undergrad university. All I wanted him to tell me that he was proud of me because I had dropped out of college when I was 21 just to get away from him and go to Australia. You know, I made my first million dollars in my 20s. I just wanted him to be proud of me. He said, well, you know, this guy over there, he's, he's doing a little better than you. I was top 1% in G at 33, 34. And he said, you know, you're not the boss yet. And so 
this wound in me was driving me to this just ferocious ambition. I just wanted to show him. I just wanted him to be proud of me. I just wanted him to, to tell me, like, I'm so proud of you. And he never did. And, and you know, it turned and uh, I abused my power as an alpha masculine because I have a lot of energy and I was very competitive and I was very good. And it was just like, it just became ferocious. This monster just got a hold of me. And I got greedy and I cheated on my wife. And I, and you know, I just, I just got lost in the world of stimulus and more money, more power. And I was rolling with these high rollers in the world, all these greedy guys that are screwing up the world. I was a cog in the wheel of that machinery. And I got so corrupted because I was so blind to it. I just wanted, I just wanted to be at the top. Maybe then he'll see me. And in 2017, I was at his, uh, and I, you know, I had this awakening and I worked through this. And I thought I had dealt with it. I thought I had made peace with it. And I was at his funeral and, you know, I, I was asked to speak. And so I did my thing. And then afterwards, you know, you have the, the gathering and I had all these old family friends that came up to me and she says, Oh my God, your father couldn't shut up about you. You must be so happy. And oh, I'm tearing up now. And that night, I cried in my sleep. I was like, man, I just wanted him to tell me. And with that wound inside of me, that lack of self-worth, I caused so much pain in the world, to my ex-wife, to all these people in my life. Because I was just blind. And we all have a wound. And there's a little kid there. And you just got to grab that kid. And now you're the parent. And then you go on a walk with that kid. And all that kid was wants to be seen, heard, and loved. But you will never find it to the extent you really truly desire it in your soul, to the extent you can give that to yourself. Because when you can give that to yourself, you are whole. You are complete. And I want to make a fucking difference. Choose my French. If you have a million dollars in the bank or five dollars in the bank, I promise you, when you get to that point, you are complete. Mm-hmm. And from a from a position of completeness, you can become the spiritual poet, which I talk about in my book. And and we get in the game of creating spiritual art. And how beautiful can I make my masterpiece? Is I'm adding my own spiritual art to this canvas of all creation. And every day I have a blank canvas. And how beautiful can I make that? What can I parse out of myself of beauty, of art, spiritual art? And it's not your job and it's not your religion. It's how you are being. And from that place, like the doors open. And you're just walking yourself home. Still flawed. I'm still flawed. I still make mistakes. I screw up. But I just stepped into it. I said, oh, I, I messed that up. Sorry. I have blind sight. Right? None of us are perfect. You're not here to be perfect. You're here to perfect your art. And that quote is on the back of my book. Art is never finished. Uh, only abandoned. Leonardo da Vinci. Mm. You are art. You're the sculptor. In the sculpture, don't abandon your art. The only thing you're here to do is perfect your art. Make it as fucking beautiful as you can. I, and, you know, and you know what's beautiful. We all know what's beautiful. I love it. 
I, I love it. Sorry, I, I went I'm, on a little rampage there, but it's, no, uh, that was so good, personal, Robert. Thank you so much. And yeah. and that story is so profound because I, I, you know, I do so much work on the inner child with people and with myself, and and I love that you could see so clearly that he he couldn't give you when he when you could see that he couldn't give you what that little boy needed, but you felt that truth, the healing happened. And that's the profound awakening that we can have that releases all of that energy that's stored up in there. That's, that's insatiable in the, the, the hole that can't be filled. And now I'm going to layer on the perfect design of life. Because perfect if I design did, of life. Yeah. Because if I didn't have this father, there's no coincidence. Right? And if I didn't have this mother, and if I didn't have this life path, and if I didn't go on this journey of all the success and then losing all of it, and then working through this inside of me, I wouldn't be the man I am today. That's right. This book wouldn't have come through me. Not my book, by the way, because it comes from a higher source. It came through me. But the point is, he was perfect. He was an actor in my movie, and he played the perfect role exactly the way he needed to play it. And now I can laugh at it, and I can even, you know, I don't necessarily talk to him directly, but sometimes I have a picture here, and I say, oh, thank you. Because he taught me so much. He also taught me how to succeed in the world. He also taught me how to make all that money. But it wasn't all bad, right? I mean, he gave me a lot of beautiful things. But this wound that, that passed through him to me was a perfect design of life because I in this life needed to work through this wound. So I never have to do it again. This was my dharma. This was the plan. I needed to go through this. There's nothing that happened in my life that was coincident. It all had a purpose. It all had a place. But none of it defines me because I have a choice every day to rise above it and so wherever one of your readers is wherever you are today none of it defines you none of it whatever i've done to do my path it's within you too mm -hmm. and i believe in you i believe in everyone and create art i love the concept of the ethos of being spiritual art being yeah. spiritual art that's all we are, right? We're just perfecting our masterpiece. Work at it every day. That's how you do it. Beautiful. So if people want to learn more about Robert and your book is coming out, right? In the next, in the September next month. 12th. So we got about 10 days or, or 11 days to go. Tuesday, mm -hmm. uh, September 12th. It will be on Amazon, all the major retailers. Love and Truth. I'm the only one with my quirky last name, a Dutch last name, uh, Robert Althaus, A-L-T-H-U-I-S. That's also my website. Uh, you can find more information there. I have um, uh, an Instagram account at Robert Althaus, a Facebook account. We'll put the links in there, I guess. Yeah, I'll put all the links in the show. More left yeah. plus truth. I have a YouTube channel with some videos. And so, uh, you know, anybody, you know, I, I'd love to hear from you. If you do decide to purchase the book, I'd love to, you know, testimonials on Amazon are actually the, the, the most profound way of actually uh, bringing attention to a book. So if anybody thinks it's a good book, you know, please help me out. But reach out to me. I'm very reachable. 
I don't always respond in, in, in one hour, but uh, the various ways you can book a call with me if you wanted to work with me. I, I've been very limited on my one-on-one -on -one clients because I do a lot of speaking and writing. And uh, however I can serve. So yeah. yeah, let me know what people think. If uh, Hopefully this was meaningful to someone. Someone need, I hope someone needed to hear it. I think that that is, that is going to be the case. And I am excited that we're in the same space of providing this kind of voice, this kind of truth to people and letting them see how beautiful they are, that we believe in them, that we see them, that they too can open up and have healing yeah. as we've had. So thank you so much for being with me here today. And it has been my my pleasure to spend time with you. I thank you for your time. And I can't wait to see what happens with this beautifully channeled book. Wherever the medicine needs to go, it will find its way. Everything is always in perfect order and everything always happens for our greatest growth, our greatest prosperity and our greatest evolution. And if we can just remind ourselves of that, even when shit shows up in life, because mm -hmm. it will, it still shows up in my life. I, Me just, too. Have, I just have tools now. Yes. Right? Yes. I have more tools. So part of this journey of spiritual awakening and spiritual environment and getting to spiritual maturity is filling the tool bag. So you can just deal better with what will always be chaos outside of it. The order is always within. Absolutely. The complexity of life doesn't stop being complex, wow. but we can we can shift how we uh, participate in it, right. how we see it. Thank you, Thank so, you so much, much Rachel. I really, Thank really you. appreciate it. I enjoyed it. It's a great conversation. Thank you. Until next time, namaste. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Soul Podcast and being part of this amazing and growing community. If you loved this episode and you want even more, there is a bonus episode with even more content every Friday. This is by subscription. You can access that by being a Patreon member and there's three tiers of giving of your choice or an Apple Podcast subscriber. Once you have subscribed, you have access to a whole back catalog of episodes as well. If you would go to the website, recoveryoursoul.net, and I would love for you to subscribe to email updates so that you can keep posted with everything that's going on, different events, what dates are coming up, any reminders. There's only a couple emails each month. I hope you follow Recover Your Soul on social media. You can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, the private Facebook community page. TikTok. And if you want guided meditations, look for Reverend Rachel Harrison on Insight Timer. I really encourage you to take advantage of the one-on-one -on -one coaching. This is a unique, intuitive connection between the two of us. There are nine steps to soul recovery, and I do use those nine steps to loosely guide us through whatever you're coaching that you need. But really, it's about creating a way for you to feel comfortable around your healing of your past looking at the situations in your life, what are the patterns, what are the beliefs that are holding you back, breaking free from those patterns, breaking free from those beliefs, letting go of control, letting go of the people around you, and taking your power back, discovering who you are and who you want to be in the world and how I can support you to do this. 
And also, you're sharing this podcast with your friends, putting five stars, leaving reviews, really sharing this with others is growing the community. Thank you for being part of this community. Thank you for supporting Recover Your Soul. And I know that together, we can do the work that will recover your soul. The Recover Your Soul podcast and its content is for educational purposes only and is not allied or representative of any organizations or religions. It's based on the opinions and experience of Reverend Rachel Harrison. Recover Your Soul claims no responsibility to any persons or entity for any liability, loss, damage, or cause alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of its use. Applications or interpretations of the information represented herein. Take what you need and leave the rest.